Um, yeah, it's great to be here. Um, it was actually a bit of a surprise. Uh, we, uh, I saw Alan on Friday evening, and uh, hence here we are to, today. Uh, but it's always great to come back to Sarepta and to uh, just see faces, uh, friendly faces. Uh, uh, yeah, thank you, Anthony. Good. Um, all right, we're doing all right? We well? We need a stretch. All right, you ready? Yeah. Good. All right, um, let's just uh, go to a couple of scriptures. Um, I'm going to be reading a bit from 1 John. Uh, 1 John written by the Apostle John. Um, in actual fact, a letter written as a result of the Gospel of John. So you'll notice quite a lot of uh, similar talk, a similar theme coming through 1 John, as it's almost an explanation to some of the things that we find in the Gospel of John. Um, So let's just go to a couple of uh, uh, verses. I'm in chapter 2, reading from verse 8. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. All right, um, quite like the, uh, especially the translation that I've got here, uh, where it says, the true light is already shining. Uh, if you just listen to the tense there, we're not waiting for something in the future. It's already shining. Okay. Uh, let's go along a little bit more. Um, let's go to chapter 3. We could read the whole uh, book uh, in terms of what I'm talking about today. Um, uh, chapter 3, verses um, 13, uh, verse 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Uh, I think you get a bit of a theme coming through here of love, love, love. Uh, reference to uh, Cain, for those of you who don't know, um, Cain goes back to almost the very beginning of the Bible. And Cain and Abel both offered a sacrifice to God. And, uh, and Abel's was acceptable, was pleasing, was good. And how did Cain respond to this? Through violence. Okay, so Cain used violence to, um, to respond to it. Um, let's go to maybe one or two more. All right, if we go to chapter 4, verses 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love um, abides in God and God in him. By this is love perfected with us that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for 
He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Um, yeah, let's stop over there. About two, two and a half months ago, um, I was working with a really, really great, great, great bunch of people um, in Golden Gate. Um, it was an afternoon with a, with a team. And uh, for those of you who know Golden Gate, it's, uh, it's just fantastic. It's spectacular. And um, the evening uh, was spent at a little hotel in Clarence. And uh, you've got to love Clarence, uh, especially if you're arty and stuff like that. Um, and it was a really, really nice evening um, with one little challenge for me. Um, Mike Ivey had gone and done something really, really stupid. He had organized an appointment in Johannesburg the next morning at half past eight. So here I am at a beautiful hotel in Clarence, and uh, sort of nine, half past nine, I'm thinking I better get to bed because um, it's an early morning. It's going to be um, leaving this hotel at around about quarter to four. Um, so I'd given myself about half an hour of uh, a little bit of um, uh, leeway in case something unexpected happens. So quarter to four, I hop in my car, uh, thinking to myself, what have you done? Why have you done this? Because uh, it was totally in my ability to influence what time this appointment was. Um, and um, I leave. Um, I travel through Bethlehem. And uh, from Bethlehem, I head, head on a road that's going to take me to Warden, for those of you who know the area, from Bethlehem to Warden. And I go for about five minutes after Bethlehem, and I hit some mist. All right, now, if there's one condition I hate driving in, it's mist. Um, it creates anxiety, um, it's challenging, it's dangerous. In actual fact, uh, if you're traveling in the mist, the best thing to probably do is stop. All right? But let's add a little bit to this. Um, it's a road that I don't know very well. It's, it's farmlands. It's dark. And there's cows on the road. Yeah. Okay? Now, generally, when I go into mist, though, I realize that it's often going to be a short thing, and then it, the, the, it breaks. Um, but an hour later, I still haven't left the mist. Uh, it's probably, it is the worst mist I've ever been in. It was a solid hour of just this thick blanket of suffocating mist. And there I am staring intently in to the two, three meters in front of me. That's all I can see. Uh, worried about the cow, worried about the car, the truck that might be in front of me. Anxious about a half past eight appointment, which is still causing me to try and push along at a sort of reasonable pace. Hoping, hoping, hoping that the mist is going to lift. And with every passing kilometer, my mind, have you ever noticed when you're anxious, your mind goes all places? All right? And my mind going and sort of saying, how long is this going to last? This could go on for Heidelberg. Um, and then, with about 15 kilometers to go before Warden, without any announcement... Within a meter from here to here, I break out the mist. All right? It's been a long journey. It's been 70 kilometers. It's been about an hour of being stuck in the mist. Um, suddenly, and I cannot explain this, suddenly, in a moment, I go from mist, I go from suffocation, I go from um, not being able to see anything into the most beautiful, clear, crisp, 
morning sky. In the east, I can see the, the, the light just beginning to come. Because of the mist and all that, um, it seems now that I'm out that the sky is clearer than I've ever seen it. I can see stars like as bright as can be. I can see the silhouettes of farmlands. And I go from oppression to this incredible place of freedom. And just like that. Now, all right, keep that story in mind. Let's go to another space. Um, Would you have liked to have been living 2,000 years ago? Not if you're sick. All right? Uh, you know, I think we sometimes ask these questions. Uh, if you could have lived in any t- era, where would you, which era would you have chosen? Yeah? Um, but if we go back 2,000 years, when the passages of Scripture that I read were being written, would you have liked to have been alive then? Well, let's describe the picture of 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago the world was probably witnessing the greatest empire that there ever has been. It was called the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire stretched at its absolute height from, Lond- from the, not London, from, from England, or from the UK, all the way to India. This was a powerful, powerful mean machine. It was a political system. It was a social system. It was an economical system. The Romans would go in and they would conquer land for... Caesar, or the emperor. Caesar was considered uh, to be part God. And in certain instances, uh, if he was really, really arrogant about himself, he was God. He was the voice of God. He was the son of God. The Romans would go in and they would conquer territory in the name of Caesar. And if you were conquered, you had one of two choices. This is sort of how it went. You will either bow your knee to Caesar pay taxes to him, and your work would then fund this machine. Or if you refused, you would die, possibly the most excruciating death that you could imagine. It was death on a cross. Why did the Romans choose uh, crucifixion? Uh, Simply because um, if you defy Caesar, we are going to make a public statement to you as to what it is, uh, as to the punishment. Uh, We're not going to kill you quickly. We're going to try and get two things right, that you suffer for the longest possible time the most excruciating death without dying. Okay? So somebody who was on a cross could actually sometimes last for maybe uh, two days or so with the most excruciating pain and would eventually actually suffocate because they couldn't lift themselves up anymore to breathe. But while you're trying to breathe, every part of you is just in excruciating, excruciating pain. When those scriptures were written, um, we had emperors, as I said, Caesars. Um, During the time of the early Christian church, uh, there were three uh, emperors, Caesars. Two of them were possibly assassinated. The third was uh, Nero, um, who was uh, possibly, we're always relying on historical text and interpretations, but who possibly was totally insane. Uh, Nero uh, burnt down Rome in AD, six, uh, AD 64. 
Uh, they talk about the great fire of Rome. Uh, he himself set it on fire. Nero would take uh, Christians, apparently, he would cover them with oil, and he would light them, and they would become the lights for his uh, garden. Yeah. Um, the basic premise, um, if you submit, Caesar will feed you. He will give you bread. If you don't submit, there will be a violent there were some instances where the Rome, Romans showed a little bit of tolerance, um, and in a strange way it was a little bit to Judaism, uh, but it was under the puppet or the mummy of Herod. And they tolerated it for a while until in AD 70 they just burnt Jerusalem down. The Romans had sports. Uh, they were uh, lovers of the gladiators. Yeah, we've seen gladiator. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, yeah? All right. Father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or in the life to come. Doesn't it just make you feel good? All right. Um, They would have these um, chariot races, um, and their life was around the sport. In the Roman world, there was a massive difference between rich and poor. And if you were poor, you were almost starving for that little bit of bread that you might be given. Uh, This is what life was like 2,000 years ago a mighty, mighty machine that devoured everything and demanded that you bow your knee to Caesar. Now here's the interesting thing. For those of you who know your New Testament, um, how much of that do you read in the New Testament? Yeah, maybe a little bit, or maybe we'll be scratching the surface. Um, Jesus mentioned Caesar just in terms of an arbitrary, well, give to Caesar what Caesar's. I think Paul references once to the household of, uh, he might, might make that reference. It would seem or it would appear that our early church uh, was living in a world that, where they had their heads buried in the sand. Because they don't mention anything about um, a new emperor. Hey guys, we've got a new emperor, uh, this is a little bit about him, uh, you know, they've got to be careful of it. Uh, they make no mention of him. They make no mention of gladiators. They make no mention of, um, of uh, chariot races. They make no mention of a fire in Rome. Yeah, they didn't have CNN. But so was the propaganda of this machine. Guess what? They knew everything that was going on. They make no mention of it. It's like, if I were writing a letter in those days... Um, I would probably be saying something like this. Guys, here's 12 ways on how not to get crucified. You know, I love Jesus, but here's 12 ways on how not to get crucified. Here's the escape plan. No mention of it. It's as if that doesn't exist. Yeah, we have mention of suffering. And we know that suffering is at the hands of the Romans or at the hands of, of uh, Jewish council. But no mention of stuff. So let's put it in this way. If Paul was writing his books today, ISIS would not even be mentioned. 
it would be like they don't exist. Terrorism would not even be part of the story. What Julius Malema says won't get in there. Or any politician. The social massive problems of our world might get a slight mention. It would be as if they don't exist. Now this, I don't know, this is problematic. Are these guys uh, ignorant? Are these guys heads in the sand people? Or is something different going on here? Because I would bet if most of us had to write a letter today, we would write about fear. Yeah. We would write about protecting ourselves. We would write about gated communities. We would write about a whole host of things. Uh, Yet if Paul were here, because ISIS cannot be compared to Rome. And yet it consumes us. So what do we make of this? There's an interesting experiment, so let's go somewhere else quickly, um, done by a social scientist uh, uh, by, a, name, by uh, a guy called, now I've got to try and get this right, Mihaly Sixsensi Mihaly. How's that for a name? There are 17 letters in his surname. Uh, Mihaly was, is of Hungarian um, descent, and uh, he's probably one of the most uh, well-known, famous um, social scientists um, of our last 40 years. In the 1960s, they did an experiment in uh, Chicago. This is how the experiment goes. A bunch of art students rock up to do an art experiment. They don't know that they're going to do an experiment. They've just come to class. They walk into this art studio, go to their places of work, and they are told to um, look at a particular table. Pretend there's a table there. And there's a whole lot of objects on that table. They are given this instruction. We need you to go and pick up some objects from that table, take it to your workspace, and, fr- and there we need you to do a still picture for us, a still painting. That's the instruction. These art students don't know what's behind the instruction. What these social scientists are looking for is, is, is an answer to this question. Do all people, when engaging a creative task, uh, do it the same way? Will everybody engage this creative activity the same way? And uh, they soon notice, no, people don't do it the same way. Here's what some of the art students do. So they run to the table, and they grab a few things. They go back to their place of work, and they begin to start doing a piece of work. There are some other art students who do it slightly differently. They walk to the table. They pick up some of the objects and they begin to feel them, to look at them, put it down, grab the next item, pick it up, feel it. And after a period of time, take a few objects and go back to their place of work and do their art. Quite interesting. Or so to our social scientists. 
After everybody's completed their work of art, some judges come in to judge what they believe to be the best pieces of work. And the social scientists, Mihaly and his friend, jump up with glee because a pattern has emerged. And that's what people are always looking for. Is there a pattern? This is what has emerged. All the pieces of art that are chosen as the best come from one group and one group only. So let me put it to you. <laughs> Which do you think would possibly do the best works of art? Or? All right. Yeah. They've possibly both got great characteristics to them. Hey, spontaneity. <laughs> let's go and do this thing. Um, ah, let's look. Let's feel. Let's touch. Um, but yeah, I think most of you have uh, said it already. Uh, what they noticed uh, was that all the pieces of art that were chosen came from the second group, touch, feel. But now here's the problem. Often when you're doing these experiments, you say, that's great, that's fantastic. Uh, why? And they don't really know. <laughs> but these guys are, are, are strange creatures. A couple of years later, when these art students are out of art college, they decide to check in on them. And they go and look at them, and they're asking themselves a particular question. How many of them are still doing art, and how many of them are seemingly making a success of art? They go and look at each of them. They interview them all, and they come up with, again, a, a, a shattering discovery. All the people who are doing art still and seemingly making a success of it uh, come from one of those groups. All right, so because we said second, it has to be first. Uh, no, again, it's the second group. And they say, that's interesting. So the second group uh, had the best pieces of work. The second group are the guys who seemingly are making a go of this. But they don't know what to make of it. Twenty years later, so we're into the 80s, uh, they decide to check in on these guys who are now in their early 40s, and they say, they're asking a question, a bit of a subjective question, but they're saying, let's check in on these guys and see which people are having a significant impact on life. And obviously, a couple have gone off the bandwagon, but those who seem to be enacting on life all come from the second group. And they say, this is crazy. When we did this first experiment, it's almost as if we had an indication of success in life. And they come up with this conclusion, and it goes as follows. Now, you've got to try and stay here with me. They said, we believe that the difference between the two groups is the question they were asking themselves when they did it. The first group was doing something like this. How do I do a good picture? They go and grab stuff and their focus is on a picture. How do I do a good picture? The second group was asking a question like this. What good picture do I want to create? What good picture? So let me put it to you this way. Um, you could say something like this about 2016. Um, I really hope I have a good 2016. Or you could say to yourself, what good 2016 do I want to have? It's a totally different question. And the one moves into a creative space of what am I trying to create? And the question determines the thinking. Ask a bad question, bad thinking. And a bad question often starts with the word why. Why? Why am I suffering this? Seriously, none of us know the answer. 
Yeah. And when we try and answer it, we often become offensive. Yeah. So it's a bad question. It's, it's, it's a question we can't answer. Uh, to what end? What am I trying to create? Now, I don't think the early church was ignorant. They were just asking a totally, totally different question. And maybe it went something like this. Is our world made better through brutality, violence, or is our world made better because of sacrificial love? How does the world become a better place? Not through violence, but through servant, sacrificial love. So Caesar um, did bring you peace, provided you listened to him. And if you didn't, the answer was brutality, excess brutality. Make you think of some people today? If you don't agree with us, this is what we're going to do to you. Um, scary thought. I wonder whether some of that thinking's in the church. Maybe we don't kill each other, but maybe we say, yeah, you don't agree with me. The early church was focused on something, which, a question which says, how do we make the world better? Through love. They didn't ignore the suffering, they transcended it. They moved through it with a different thought process. There were two traditions which were, and I use the word tradition here, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's greater than a tra- tradition. There were two traditions that were absolutely the cornerstone or the center of Christian faith. It was a meal called the agape meal, a love meal. It was a table to which we came. And the table represented what we call the Eucharist. Eucharist means the good gift. Now, I want you to think about a gift. Whenever somebody gives you a gift, sacrifice has taken place on the part of somebody. I give you the good gift of time. That's sacrifice. I give you the good gift of a, of a note. I give you the good gift of money, or um, it's, I've worked for it, and I give it. The good gift, the Eucharist, came with a cost. The body was broken, and the blood was spilled. The table was about the good gift, the Eucharist, Messiah, Jesus. The agape feast was about love. Um, I want you to think of yourself uh, chatting to like a Roman. And he would say, Caesar is Lord. Look at what Caesar does. And you would maybe turn around and say, come to our feast. Because here at the feast, the widows are taken care of. The orphans are looked after. We're feeding the world. If you don't believe this, Go and read the first few chapters of Acts. Yeah. Come to one of our feasts. 
Ah, come to the table. You're all welcome. Where the body is broken and the blood has been spilt. They didn't ignore their stuff. In all that was wrong was agape, was a table. So when was it? Two weeks and a bit. Uh, we had the Paris attacks. And probably most of us focus on, oh, how can people do that? But in the midst of the Paris attacks, people that have not hit the news at all have shared the love feast, have demonstrated the Eucharist, they have reached out, they have engaged, they have connected, they have prayed for, they have touched, they have fed, they have sacrificed. They have, in, they have transcended it and demonstrated a totally, totally different way of seeing things. Do they agree with the, the, the stuff? Of course not. But they realize in and through all that happens, they bring healing to the world. See, the thing about the Eucharist is that as we come to the table, uh, we receive healing, we receive so much, and then we go out as Eucharists where our bodies are broken and our blood is spilled. Tomorrow when you go to work, your body is broken and your blood is spilled as you choose to love. Because how can we say we're in him if we don't love? To John and them, it's just, I'm not going to focus on ISIS. Love. Um, as I leave here today, or as we, as we all go our different ways, um, is this which compels us? Bodies broken. Yeah. Blood is spilled. And then we come to the table. And we receive, just like Milan sang earlier on, we receive. Because his body was broken and his blood was spilt. How amazing that whatever the travesty, light shines. Are you going to be one of those shining it? Am I? Or are we going to be writing letters about how bad ISIS is? We know they're bad. We don't need to write it. I don't know how many more Paris attacks there's going to be. But I would suggest that, um, yeah, we live in dark, trying times. We get consumed by it, we go into the mist. And guess what? It's anxious and you're seeing two, three meters in front of you. You don't know where you're going and you're fearing every single day some calamity. May we drive in open spaces. 
May we bring healing and hope to our world until he comes and brings overall ultimate healing and hope. Yeah. And we pray, come Lord Jesus, but until then, with the healing, with the hope for this world. Let's not debate stupid stuff. It really, really is a call for us to be in love. So uh, Paul and these guys, yeah, they knew what was going on. But they were just driving in a different environment. And even as some of them were martyred, it wasn't an issue for them, actually. Because their bodies were broken and their blood was being spilt for the healing of those that were around them. Yeah. So like I said, yeah, I don't know. You know, we, we live in a world that's just so uncertain. Um, we need to fight those things. But let's put our energy in the right place. Um, ask a different question. So let's, I, I would love us to sing that first song again. Because that, you know, that one with the table. Yeah, you know, maybe we can just, um, and let's just, um, let's just, Think about it. For some of us sitting here today, a fear is just gripping us. And fear is terrible. We all know its grip. But we're asking a different question. We do not bring healing to this world through fear and through anxiety and through violence and through oppression. It comes through people who transcend that. They feel of the pain. They acknowledge the pain. But they transcend it. So for some of us, maybe we're driving and it feels like there's just so much mist around. But come to the table. At the table there is healing. But the table reminds me, it centers me again in who it is that I need to be as I leave. New commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. May our thoughts not be on how we revenge that. That's driving in the mist. May our thoughts be, God, how do you shine in through us in all situations and circumstances? May we as a people, as a church, as, a, as individuals, not talk about Caesar, but talk about life. May we come to the table. So as we sing this, just play with these thoughts and see this broad, open, expansive place. In him we live and move and have our being.